This podcast is brought to you by www.twolinedmusica.com. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is Muscle, and this is another Two Line Music Hut's Entertainment Report podcast. And tonight, we have a living legend in the building tonight. Listen, he's an author, a lecturer, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame recording artist. Listen, he's a Grammy Lifetime Award recipient. This is the Minister of Information. Listen, he's also from Serious Minds Radio. You know who we have in the building today? We have Professor Griff from Public Enemy in the building today. What's going on, Big Boss? Peace, peace. How you feel, good, bro? I'll take the little boss. I don't know about the big boss. You're the big boss. <laughs> it usually takes a big boss to know another, another big boss. So I'll say we're both big bosses there. All right. Give thanks. All right. So how are you doing on this good um, sunny day over where you are right now? It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's a good time to be alive. Um, it's a very cautious time to be alive. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good time to be disseminating information. Um right about now because there's so much to kind of deal with. Sometimes it gets overwhelming, but yeah. if you're into it and you focus and you're clear, it shouldn't be a problem. You understand 100%. All right, let's get into the history of Professor Griff here. I know you grew up in uh, Roosevelt, Long Island, right? Long Island, New York, yeah. Yep. What if, you, you if you don't put the New York on the end of it, People say Long Island. They think it's the Virgin Island. <laughs> I tell people I'm from the island. They're like, what island? I say Long Island. Yeah. yeah. New York. All right. What was Griff like as a kid growing up in Long Island, New York? Probably just like any other kid playing in the street, living my best little life. I'm the seventh son of a family of 13 and I'm the 12th child. So okay. you know, I got the bicycle every yeah. every, every other uh, birthday. Um, grew up, my mom, my mom was, a, a a Baptist on the usher board in the church. My dad passed away when I was six. So yeah, I, had, I had brothers and sisters that always looked out for me. So yeah. Good. Man. All right. So it was good. And I know you're very militant and stuff. Where did that actually come into your life? Was it as a child? Was it when you grew older? Where did all of that really get activated? No, I think that was when I was a child. I think when I was a child, because so much was going on during the turbulent 60s. I was born August 1st, 1960. 1960, right there. Yeah. So yeah. if I'm born on, on August 1st, mid, at right smack dab in the middle of the summer, yeah. in 1960, roll your mind back into think all the things that was going on in the 60s. Yeah. That's when I grew up, and that's what shaped and molded this revolutionary spirit. All right. So then when did you actually get attracted to hip-hop then? Well, when hip-hop was born, I was there. Mm-hmm. So I was already on the scene. Yeah. And hold on. As a DJ, it's yeah. just that it, it, it hit me on Long Island. You understand what I'm saying? So, yeah. yeah. It hit me on Long Island. So I'm saying to myself, okay, um, I see the things that's going on in the city. But what's going on out here? So we were some of the first DJs to kind of bring it. Because, you know, your country cousins live in the Bronx. Yeah. Queens. Hold on for a second. Uh, uh, I'll hit you back, Barack Obama. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. So your your cousins and whatnot was living all in the city. So you was out in on Long Island, and uh. "Quote unquote," living a good life because that was the suburbs. Uh huh. It was just out there as it was, yeah, in the city, man. So but we got we got hip hop kind of late. Okay. Just about, just about a year and a half late. That's it. 
All right. Who were some of the groups that you actually remember or some of the songs you remember back then when you heard the first hip hop type of songs? No, I actually remember Cold Crush. I actually remember some of the mixtapes and some of those tapes that, that actually people were duplicating and feeding out that actually ended up on Long Island. So I heard some of those early tapes. You understand what I'm saying? I heard the early um, um, uh, Crash Crew. I heard the early... Um, Funky Four plus one more. I heard all of the early stuff, man. Yeah, the okay. flash. I heard all of the early stuff that was going on. So when I actually started seeing it, because it was kind of dangerous to go in the city. When I actually started seeing it, I was like, I put two and two together. So I became DJ Griff in a group called Spectrum City. Spectrum City ended up being the bomb squad. Okay, because I know originally, so okay, so originally you came in as a DJ which was through Spectrum City, which was mm -hmm. you, Hank, and a couple more brothers. Right, right, right. So originally I was a DJ and, you know, doing the DJ thing and surprisingly enough, you know, we used to see Chuck D out and about and then we kind of joined forces and started doing some different things and Chuck joined on and some other people. So yeah, it was, it was a beautiful thing, man. Okay, and around what year did Spectrum City and Chuck D, Chuck D actually join together? You talking the seventies, man? Talking, like, <laughs> yeah, man. You talking the seventies when I was in high school? Man. Yeah, wow. Because I know definitely what Chuck brought to the table was his voice. He had that big voice. From as far as I remember, Chuck, you've always heard him with that powerful voice. And I guess that at that time there, you guys were DJs, so you needed an MC to complete the entire hip hop product at that time there. Right, because Chuck D was like the Marv Albert. He was the announcer. He was the one kind of narrating the whole thing because he did have that voice. But Chuck D brought so many things to the table. But being having a strong voice is one of them. His ability to write and construct lyrics to the point where they was right to the point, poignant kind of points, hit you in the chest, some in the head, some hit you in the back of the head. But anyway, um, um, then he brought the creative thing, man. He brought the um, knowing what's going on in the world. He was on the post, what was going on. He knew what time it was. And if you see pictures of Public Enemy, you'll see Chuck D with the clock and not Flavor. What? That's originally how it started? Yeah, Chuck D wore the clock, yeah. I had no idea. Go look at the early pictures. Yeah. Chuck D, wow, because I remember Chuck with the uh, medallion. That's how I remember Chuck with the medallion, play with the clock. That that was later on. Yeah. That's when we started asking people to take off the, the Dookie gold rope chains and start wearing African medallions. That was years later. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So let's get into the early public enemy here. So, okay, so you guys started out as Spectrum City. When did Spectrum City now turn into public enemy? Well, Spectrum City didn't turn into Public Enemy. Chuck D was offered a deal by Def Jam. And since Chuck was already working with Flavor at Adelphi University, because Flavor Flav had a show, Chuck and Flavor actually used to work together like a moving company. <laughs> okay. But then, then they had their separate shows at Adelphi University. And, um, you know, if you listen to PE number one, it was that early... It was the early kind of shows and the early kind of things Chuck Flavor and Chuck was doing on the air that attracted the attention of, you know, Jam Master J and and DMC, which got the attention of Russell, which got the attention of Rick Rubin. Yeah. So, yeah. 
So that, that it didn't turn into it. It became a part of it. And yeah. And everybody put, played their position at that time there. So I guess Chuck was the MC, Flavor was the MC slash hype man. Then there was you, the Minister of Information, DJ Terminator X. Oh, no, 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 you got to back up. Okay. I was the information. I was the road manager. I did some vocals and wrote some songs, and I did the choreography. All of that. Okay, so the choreography with the S1Ws. Yeah, that, that was me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Because even today, I was looking back at some of them, and I said, you know what? It's just so amazing how after you go back and look at something 30 years later, how right. different it looks and how many things you really understand. Because back then, we're watching all of these stuff as kids. So you're just saying, hey, fight the power, all this stuff is on. You're just jumping with whatever is cool, but you're right. not really understanding it. So it almost seems like you guys made music with the intention it's really going to mature 30 years later. Mm, that's a good way to look at it. You, you deeper than I am, because I thought I thought we made music that end us up in jail thirty years later. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because he was the power back then. Yeah, do you remember even the the song here, "Fight the Power"? Do you remember the day when you guys actually wrote that song, and then when you guys actually recorded that video? Because that video is iconic and epic to this day. I remember the day we shot the video, but the actual song, I think Chuck was in a, in a, in a mindset of getting the song to Spike Lee because I think one of the early songs that we did turn in got turned down. Right. So then Fight the Power was that song. But you kind of figure after listening to James Van and Isaac Brothers, Fight the Power, we got the, you know what I'm saying? And yeah, putting them two together and, and that vibe and that. Earth, Wind, and Fire thing. Yeah, it's like, but yeah, but Chuck was a master at that, man, along with the Bomb Squad. Yeah. That's I Shockley, Keith Shockley, Eric Vietnam, Fatler, of course, Terminator X, um, Johnny Juice, a few other people that was in the round. Yeah, no, definitely, because that's a big, big, big conglomerate, to, especially to come up with Fight the Power. You said you remember the video. Let's talk about the actual shooting, the music video. And where did you guys shoot that video? In Brooklyn. Yeah, we shot in Bed-Stuy, and there was a Spike Lee presentation, 40 Acres in the Mule kind of thing, his company. And um, first time I've ever experienced anything like that. So I was in it, but I'm in it looking around, looking from inside out. I didn't know it would have the impact that it had years and years and years later. I'm just happy to be a, a part of it and help influence it. At that time there. So I guess what was actually going on at that time? Why you guys needed to write a song like that at that point right there? I think some of the same things that was going on now. Um, some of the killings, some of the shootings, black people getting mistreated to while the Brawley thing happened. Um, I forget the brother's name that uh, they got beat up in ben Benson. I think he died. Um, it was just so many things happening. And so we was having meetings at the Slave Theater. We was having meetings at the African Poetry Theater in Queens, Slave Theater in Brooklyn. Um, first World Uptown in Harlem and, you know, um, things were going on, man, and people were talking. Al Shopton was doing his thing at that particular time. I'm not sure if anyone knew that he was CI7 then, an informant. But um, there was a lot of things that was going on. A lot of things. Yeah. At that time there, yeah, because that's actually, that's very early hip-hop. I think that song came out 89 or was it 88? No, 89. So it was 1989, the number, Another Summer. 
You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> You're right. Yeah. You're 100 percent right. Wow. Drummer. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, I knew you got soul. Brothers and sisters. <laughs> crazy. Again, as I remember, I remember as a kid listening to the public enemy, because if we're talking about 88, 89, 90, I would be like 13, 14, 15. So you're wow. just you're just wow. basically figuring out what's going on at that time right. there. And you heard the Malcolm X references, you heard the Martin Luther references. And at this time here, again, you're so young, you're not really paying attention to it, but you're seeing the visuals and you're hearing the information that's going into your mind. So again, as I said, it seems like this was something that prepped you from back then. This gave you a level of consciousness that you didn't even know you were getting from back then. Well, we kind of understood that we were actually planting those seeds that would actually germinate later on in a young man's life like you to the point where we would be on here now mm-hmm. discussing some of the same things we were discussing in the record and outside of the record then, yeah. now. Crazy. Crazy, crazy man. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's sad that we, you and I have to talk about it, but it's crazy, man. It, it, it really is crazy. Yeah. And how do you find, how has things really changed or has anything really changed in the past 30 years? No, no, no. I think they've, they've really, really changed simply because even if we look at the microcosm, meaning you as an individual and myself as an individual and um, using us as a microcosm as an example, your life has changed. Mm-hmm. You're on a show right now, wearing the shirt that you're wearing, having the consciousness that you're having, mm-hmm. um, your background being what it is, your mindset being uh, what it is. Hearing a song when you were 13, Having wherewithal to say, man, I'm gonna get in touch with Professor Green. I don't care what yeah. he do. Yeah, you know what That's the microcosm. The macrocosm. Barack Obama was elected. You know those young whites that grew up that was about the same age you grew up, listening to Public Enemy. Yeah. Um, macrocosm. Black people became a lot more aware. The connection between the continent. America, Caribbean islands, Brazil, and the black African diaspora. Now we understand there's a lot more of us. You understand? And so, yeah, a lot has changed, man. A lot has changed, man. Yeah, a lot. I get that. Listen, there's two more songs I want to go through with Public Enemy, and then we're going to get to the second chapter here, all right? All right. To me, one of the biggest ones to this day, and even we're going to go into that a bit after to is fight the power because that's even relevant. There's so many stuff I've seen in that video watching today. I almost thought it was something that came on TV like two days ago. But we're going to get back to fight the power just now. Another song that was a big one to me and I didn't understand. I never understood what it meant back then also mm. was Channel Zero. Mm. I never back to what is Channel Zero? I don't have zero. I only have one up to whatever you're going. So exactly what did that mean back then and how is it even relevant right now? Well, when me and Chuck penned the actual song, I think I started writing that song in the back of a cold tour bus in Europe. Okay. And um, the idea of the particular song was black women watching soap operas at that time. The whole idea of Zero is the fact that it wasn't an actual station. It was an actual mindset. A mindset that white America was pushing across. That white America... With, with, their, with, with their programming, with actually doing the programming. 
and the programming added up to zero, added up to nothing because black women at that time, all of them had, not all of them, the vast majority of black women that were surrounding us had their favorite soap opera. You know, they had to get home to watch the stories. So they took on the characteristics and the behavior of some of the white women that they were seeing on these stories and they kept up with the stories. And I remember my mom said, shh, my story's on. Yeah. So you had to be quiet, go out and play, do whatever, because the stories was on. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was basically about that. And it was big at that time. Now it's reality shows. Yeah. Now, it's, yeah, it's, it's now, now uh, black women into the, the whole idea of reality shows and that kind of thing. Same kind of dynamic. But, you know, she watched Channel Zero. Yeah. Um, it ended up, you know, ended up at, at, at zero with nothing. Yeah. Well, really nothing in your head. Yeah, you fill you fill your mind with nothing. You end up with nothing. It only makes sense. Exactly, right? exactly. All right, another the last monster song that I remember back then also was nine one one is a joke. Again, we're singing these songs. We're even saying nine one one is a joke, but I never understood the entire message of what it meant. Nine one one is a joke until I became an adult. Well, you must have a very privileged life growing up. That every time y'all needed a taxi and every time y'all needed 911, they actually came. <laughs> kind of time. But try that shit in the hood, man. It don't work. It just don't work. 911 is a joke. It don't come for us. And I've witnessed that over the last probably five years, six years, in places like Detroit, yeah. Baltimore, Indiana, Indiana, Indianapolis. Shit, I called the Uber and it didn't come. Shit. Well, they don't come to certain parts of the city. Yeah. So yeah. Never knew that. Right about now. All right. Good. And I know. Okay. Because I knew you started out. You were the original member of Public Enemy. Then there was a situation that came up, and you got kicked out of the band, and then you actually came back. So it seemed like at first you were a part of the logo, and then you became the logo. You understand? <laughs> 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 Say that one more time. I never looked at it that way. But <laughs> I became the goddamn logo. <laughs> I'm gonna leave that one. <laughs> and that—that's what it seemed like because you well, were the one disseminating the information, Minister of Information, uh, and then all of a sudden you became the logo. All right. After you left, uh, you left. What were you doing while you left, and then why did you even come back? Um, I think what I was doing was um, trying to understand what just happened. I'm trying to understand certain things, but you go because you, you're young, still in your twenties, you're growing. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, the the idea of speaking truth to power, all yeah. of a sudden, people had rules and regulations. Before, when you was in the street, wild as hell, yeah, you know, saying, saying what you want to say, doing what you want to do. Now, all of a sudden, you can't say certain things to certain people. Yeah, I was, I was not under that uh, constriction or restriction. I wasn't trying to have my voice censored, and I wasn't trying to be restricted. This yeah. is the truth. I'm laying it out. I'm the minister of information. This is what it is. Only thing you can kind of do come challenge me on it and prove me wrong. Then I'll be quiet. Yeah. But to this day, no one has. Yeah. And wait a minute. And what I said then, it's still an issue today. 
Yeah, I'll take my roses while I'm alive. I'll take my flowers while I'm alive. Yeah. They're going to have to apologize to me like you apologize, You have to apologize to Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. Yeah, because everybody taking it to me now. <laughs> <laughs> You're 110% right at that now. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just, as again, with um, Public Enemy, Public Enemy was such a, a mammoth hip-hop group because this is before rap. You guys are hip-hop group, hip-hop collective, hip-hop band that really changed music in general, even outside of just hip-hop, because it was so prolific. It's like you guys are on these crazy beats that's in your face, and the lyrics are even in your face even more. So it's 100% I'm in your face. You're going to listen to me whether you like it or not. Right. We was fighting for the mind space. The lyrics was fighting the music for the mind space. Um, Chuck D said it. He said that he didn't. He wanted to make music that black women can't dance to. Yeah. So if you're not dancing to it, then you're listening. Got you. Although some people are still doing the Flavor Flav dance, but yeah, yeah it's cool. Yeah. Because you don't think about dictating to the song. The song is basically dictating to your spirit. Yeah. And whatever came up out of you came up out of you. Hell, if you just wanted to fight, fight the power, then fight the power. Yeah. If 911 wanted to joke, if you know, if these things songs was hitting you like that, then do the I mean do the damn thing. Yeah, just yeah. bring the noise. Do something. Yeah. You're just not yeah. gonna sit there. Something's gonna happen. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I got you. And even somebody like Flav would being in a group where Flav and Griff, that's like left, left. And right, right. How did you guys even get along in that type of group? And it's not like he was a group and somebody else managed, so you didn't care. You had to be the road manager also, so you really had to be in tune with flavor. What was that like? Oh, that was that was that was taxing and very difficult, man. Like literally, very, 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 very difficult to the point where I think some of the things that took place then, I don't think he's has, has healed from those things yet. There was some physical fights. There was some. You know, some restraining, there was some, yeah. So it was just one of those kind of things. How do you continuously deal with somebody on drugs, though? Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? It's almost like you they do whatever they do to get to, to the next high, and you're trying to move a conscious group forward. So how do you do that? I didn't go to class for that. Yeah. I signed up for it, and I took on the responsibility and the duty as best I knew how. Mm-hmm. And it ended up being what it's being. But I love flavor. It's my brother. Um, even in the last situation with the friction inside of the group, I yeah. spoke and stood up for the brother. It was like, mm-hmm. no, I don't treat the man like that. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, the man is getting his act together and he's getting his thing together so we can't throw him to the wolves. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? But everybody go through trial, trials and tribulations and it is it is what it is. Uh, I hope I hope we get all of us can forgive one another. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Um, just inside of the group, and then I hope the people can forgive us for the, the things that they're hearing so yeah. that we, we can help move our people and the culture forward. For sure. Right now, so then where we stand today, is Flavor Flav actually a part of Public Enemy or is not a part? What's the, what is that right now? Flavor Flav will always be a part of Public Enemy. No one can kick Flavor Flav out of Public Enemy. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? That's like Hall of Notes. Yeah. Hall said, I'm tired of you, man. I'm kicking you out of this. Like, come on. Yeah. Hall of Notes. <laughs> 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 come on. Yeah, no. Um, flavor. I mean, we're going to be connected regardless. 
Yeah. Whether we make another song or not, or do another show or not, we're going to be interconnected with one another for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Like, for example, you and I. Mm-hmm. Once this is done, we're connected forever. One hundred percent. I saw you on an interview with this brother, man. He had a dope Holly Selassie shirt on. And Bam. <laughs> we will forever be tied to one another. Yeah. You get it. You get it. And especially somebody like you where you've had so many highs, lows, and in-betweens in your life. It's especially documented ones. It's crazy. You know something? Mm-hmm. Me and my wife was talking about that earlier. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people don't know. Yeah. They don't know I'm a producer. Mm-hmm. I produce my own music. They don't know I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. Seven books and six, seven albums. Crazy. They don't know I'm a producer. I produce half my wife's album and my whole album. Okay. Yeah, they don't know these things about me. They don't know that I put a poetry album out. I'm working on a meditation album. Yeah. You know, with, with mantras, mantras and chants and this kind of thing. Well, they don't know that. They don't know I'm a drummer, a percussionist. So people don't know these things about me because the only side of Professor Griffith that they see is this side. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's a lecturer. He's a speaker. He talks about the Illuminati and music, blah, 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 blah. And he's violent. That's it. <laughs> and I'm not <laughs> <laughs> not, not at all. You, you speak your mind, yeah, one hundred percent. But that, I mean? that, that translates to violent to them, yeah. Because I'm not afraid. Mm-hmm. Listen, if people disagree with me and they want to discuss it, <clears throat> everyone has my phone number. But if you don't want to discuss it, then leave me alone. Yeah. People talk about me from a distance, but as I get, I don't know what that's all about. I turn the notifications off, but anyway, um, people get closer and closer. It becomes more of a challenge for them because you have to bring actual facts. So when I have discussions, I have very black letter, bold font discussions. No opinion, no, I think this, no, no, no. What's the actual fact? Yeah, and a lot of people are afraid of that because they want to leave that key under the mat so they can get back in and out of the house. And it's like, no, man, <laughs> no. We're here. Let's play. You can't be wishy-washy. You can't straddle the fence. Yeah. Either Black Lives Matter or they don't matter. So Just when you say all lives matter, then that includes black. But then you got to start treating black lives like black lives matter. Yeah. And we see when they don't matter and yeah. everything that these people do. So since it don't matter and they treat us like it don't matter, we got to yell it in their face. Look, black lives matter. And we already know that black lives will start mattering once black lives matter to black people. Yeah. And we're letting the world know black lives matter to us. So chill. And that's what we're doing right now. You know what? You segue right into where I was going next. So let's talk about it. Right now, it almost seems like Professor Griff is living in Wonderland right now, where it's almost like the perfect storm. And this is where you shine your best. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We're also in the middle of almost like I wouldn't say a race war. That's not right. A civil war. Okay, all at the exact same time. What do you think is going on? And what do you think the solution is to fix all of this right now? That's a big question. 
Mm-hmm. That's a very big question. What I think is going on from my little tiny point of view, my over here where I'm sitting, mm-hmm. the pandemic, of course, was man-made. Okay. Man-made diseases and man-made diseases America's been doing for a long time. Okay. Um, the whole idea of rebellion, resistant movements have been going on for a long time. It's just that they all hit at the same time. Yeah. Resistance movements was boiling up to a feverish pitch for a minute. We didn't know, and I think the pandemic exacerbated the tensions of the resistance movement because they locked us in. It's almost like a pressure cooker. We've been in the house for three months, man. No job, no money, no food. We like something got to give. As soon as they opened this thing up, we saw them shoot down our brother Ahmad Aubrey in, in Brunswick, Georgia. We saw them kill Breonna Taylor. And then what popped it off was the murder of our brother George Floyd. Black took the cake and black people said, you know something? We tired of it. Yeah. So I got a list of about 20 black militia groups with guns. I seen the Israelites, Hebrew Israelite brothers. In all purple. Yeah. In all purple. Mm-hmm. I seen Crips and Bloods and GDs and all kind of gangs. It's like, yo, enough is enough, man. If it's going to be on, it's going to be on. Mm-hmm. Plain and simple. And they just simply tired of racism and white supremacy and, and, and how it looks, how it smells, how it walks, how it talks, how it acts, whether it's on the scene or off the scene. People are just tired of it. Yeah. And why do you think the George Floyd murder actually pushed everything off the cliff like it did because we've seen killings we've seen beats beat up by cops we've seen everything before so why this one in particular really pushed everything this one offers you this one says to you uh you have no excuse man you have no excuse now it is in your face it's no excuse man yeah you have no excuse now. It's, it's, it's in your face. Try to act like you didn't see this one. Hell, Ray Charles can see this. If he wanted to see this, it's like you can't ignore it. And then on a human level, globally, people say, that is not right. And they reacted, man. They said, you know something? No, I'm, I'm not going there. Yeah. So it, it, it regurgitated up everything that every cop ever done to everybody. Yeah. And start going for it, man. And they want reform. They want this thing to change, man. Plain, it's just plain and simple. Man. So many cops got fired. So many cops got injured. So many people, few people that I know of, lost their lives in this whole thing. And it's like no one, no one says that we're gonna survive this thing, man. Because what if George Floyd was your father, or your uncle, or your brother? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's because it's serious right now. What I want to ask you right now, we are in 2020, all right? We're in the Mm -hmm. middle of this civil riot and everything going on outside right now. Who are the black leaders in 2020 right now? Who do we look to to get our orders from to say, okay, this is what's next. This is what we tell the authorities we want. And this is the message we give them. Who are the leaders? Where are they? There's one leader I know. And his name is uh, Professor Griff. Okay. Professor Griff leads Professor Griff. Professor Griff don't lead anyone else. 
Okay. Is this other leader I know, Sheldon? You know him? Yeah, I heard of him. Yeah, he, he does this kind of podcast kind of thing, mm-hmm. dropping jewels and dropping science. Uh, I wanted to advise Sheldon. Shelton can't lead anybody. Shelton has to lead Shelton. You understand what I'm saying? That leader is in here. Now, if Sheldon's spirit connects with Professor Griff's spirit, then we can lead. And if we connect with all our other brothers and sisters, then why would they need to be a leader? I follow. We can have a governing God body and, and uh, a, 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 a council of elders, but you got to lead you. How these deaths of our brothers and sisters affected you, it may not affect, affect me the same. I may have went out and bought a thousand rounds of ammunition and some heat. You may have prayed. The next person may have done some other things. You understand what I'm saying? So I'm like, yeah. But we have to have a one common goal, man. Marcus Garvey said, race first, bro. Yeah. And um, Malcolm X said, we have to get free by any, every, and all means necessary. Mm-hmm. And what did Holly, Holly Selassie I say? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? All of us fought for the same thing. Yeah. Why can't we resurrect the spirit? It makes total sense. What do we want right now? Now that we have everybody's attention, what are the demands that's being sent in right now? Can I speak directly into the mic? White folks, we want y'all to leave us the fuck alone. That's number one. Okay. Number two, we want, as Elijah Muhammad already laid it out, we want justice, man. Mm-hmm. We want justice under the law that you claim that we're supposed to be Americans. We're supposed to be human. So why can't we get justice under your law? Since we can't get justice under your law, we want eight to 10 states that we can call our own and we'll go for ourselves. We want dual citizenship from all these places that you stole us from and brought us here. And even the brothers and sisters that were already here that met you on the shore when you got here. We want dual citizenship, all right? We want you to pay back trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars of reparations. And we want, um, we want to have our people repaired. Money is not going to repair us, but we do need the money. Land will help. All right, for you to support us in 20 to 25 years with trillions and trillions of dollars will help, but we need to be repaired. Let's start right there. Yeah. And the eight other things I got, I'll save it for later on. But let's start. Can we start right there? All right. That's great. Okay. Yeah, we want we, we, we want to we want a true and proper education. We want we don't want to continue to get mis- miseducated by you. All right. All of the brothers and sisters that are in prison under these drug charges now, we want them released today because you locked them up on petty marijuana charges. But then again, you turn around, you start selling marijuana. We want all our brothers and sisters under those charges free right now, today. Plain and simple. Just like that. We want police reform. Mm -hmm. Defund the police, bring them down to a public servant. You understand what I'm saying? And even if they have to police without guns, then yeah, we're going to start that program because no longer are you going to come and continue to shoot us down. Plain and simple. Mm -hmm. We're going to fight back. We're going to fight back, man. Makes sense. Us as a community, how could we actually better the situation for ourselves right now also? I think what we can do is start respecting one another. I'm not one of these individuals that buy into this whole idea of they wouldn't kill us if we didn't kill one another. Mm -hmm. That is some utter bullshit. 
That's like me seeing you slap your wife and beating on your wife. That give me the permission to beat on her because you beat on her? Not at all. No, because you end up beating on me right or wrong. Mm-hmm. That is so goddamn stupid. So let me answer that question for the Negroes and Negresses out there in the coons and the bootlicking handkerchief head Uncle Toms out there. So we kill one another so that gives them the right to kill us. This is what, this is what they think. We didn't kill each other during slavery. So what gave them the right to kill us then? Some silly Negro from the Wu-Tang Clan said, man, if we dress better and dress apart and look civilized, they wouldn't kill us. Wow. Have you ever seen the book Without Sanctuary? No. Make a mental note of that book. Can you do that? Yes, I can. Without Sanctuary. Mm-hmm. There were postcards that white people collected of lynchings and burnings of black people. They put it all in one book, white people. Okay. And this is the postcards they sent to one another. There was a group of people that collected all of these postcards and put it in a book. <laughs> How are we dressed, y'all? Nice. Nice. Dr. Martin King get shot in a suit or did he have a dashiki on or did he have some hip hop gear on? In a suit. <laughs> Malcolm X got shot what? in a suit. Most of the lynchings you see black people, we had suits on. Yeah. Come on, man. If we didn't kill one another, white people wouldn't kill us. Shut up. If you ain't got nothing to say, shut the fuck up and sit down somewhere, man. Because that is foolish to say something like that. Because white people kill one another. That don't give them a right to kill one another. And they do. Black on black crime. What about black on what about white on white crime? Let's talk about white on white crime. World War One was white on white crime. Okay. How many people died? Millions, right? Mm-hmm. World War Two, the Civil War. Need I go on? <laughs> <laughs> you may. Wait, wait. Europe fought a hundred year war against who? Themselves. That's white on white crime for your ass. Like, like said, like no other could. Like Mr. Professor Griff, trust me, the Minister of Information, it's almost like you were the internet before the internet actually existed. The Minister yeah. of Information. Yeah, you had to go study. You had to go to the library. Mm-hmm. You had to pick up books. You had to read and you had to, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Yeah. Question I got to ask you before I get you out of here. I know you, you've been in the music business now for over 30 years. Wow. Yes. You speak about the Illuminati in the entertainment business. Does the Illuminati still exist? What's the role of the Illuminati in 2020 music business right now? When you say the Illuminati, let's demystify it, all right? There are some people that actually sit around plot and plan and carve out what the industry is going to look like. What is actually sold, bought, what actually hit the airways, what gets to play and what don't. Okay. Now you can follow the money trail and it'll lead you back to some companies that you probably never heard of. So I'm not challenging you or testing you, but have you ever heard of Vivendi? No. Okay, see, this is where it starts. <laughs> some of these companies and some of these people control the vast majority of the music industry and all of the rich people in it. The Gen and the Puffies and the 50 Cents and DIs and the rest of these people, the Beyonce's and the, yeah. So we have to understand this particular dynamic and how that works. Who controls Vivendi? You will probably never know. But they're the ones that make 
millions and millions. If Jay Z has a billion, then he probably has a trillion. Yeah. So when you link these things back to Masonic groups and when you link it back to secret societies, when you link it back to organizations and societies, secret societies like that, you can link it back to this mysterious boogeyman called the Illuminati. Black people cannot be a part of the Illuminati. The Illuminati simply means the Illuminated ones. And that sacred knowledge and science, they actually stole from us. We are the Illuminated ones. So they stole that from us. So we have to understand that. But that secret society called the Illuminati and it's called different things in different places because the language changes. Um, It's something that they put together May 1st. And on that day, they actually celebrate the Illuminati on May 1st. So, Sheldon, around the world, what happens on May 1st? May 1st is... Considered what? Isn't that not spring? Um, I can't, right now, on the spot, I can't think right now. Hmm. It's almost, almost like a the Labor Party, Labor Day, kind of, around the globe. Okay. Labor Union. And if you really go back in the day and watch the old black and white movies when the plane is about to go down, what do they say? Yeah. Mayday, Mayday, Mayday. Why Mayday? Yeah. See, they use a language to speak right past our ears. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I wrote another book called Symbology, which talked about the signs and symbols of the Illuminati and how they speak to one another and lock us out. That's a whole different conversation. We probably have to do part two of this. But yeah. I'm saying the Illuminati does exist, and that the vast majority of black people have no clue as to what the Illuminati is or their function in this world. Yeah, and what even so forth, what is their function? What's the whole purpose of having this group that runs the world or whatever it does? Domination and control. Mm -hmm. Uh, The rest of us are sheeple. Mm -hmm. There's about 1% that run and own everything. Mm -hmm. You're not part of it, I'm not part of it. Mm -hmm. We don't get invited to the party. Yeah. So yeah, that, that makes total sense. And since when you were in the business, is there anything that you saw that you would say, "Hmm, this seems kind of kind of funny right here. This seems kind of Illuminati-ish." To be honest with you, without mentioning any names, okay, how rough and tough, thugged out, gangster some of these cats come in the industry. A few years later, they soft. <laughs> how how all the lipsters talking proud and tough and all this kind of stuff. And in a few years, we don't even hear from them. You understand what I'm saying? I'm the leader. I'm the teacher. I'm this one. I'm that one. And I'm this. And I'm I'm the king of this. I'm the king of New York. And I'm the king of the South. And wait, what happened? Yeah. And it seems like every single person will bend or they break over and over and over again. They bend or they break. You're like, wait a minute. What happened to dude? Wasn't you just selling drugs out of Marcy Projects a minute ago? Wasn't you the one? That, it's like, come on, man. Yeah. It's the entertainment business. And these are some jumping jacks. They some clowns. Mm-hmm. Someone is pulling the strings while they dance. Yeah. Like, Never me. Yeah. So they pull you in the back room and now you compromise? Wow. And I figure, I guess that's the best way to actually control somebody is to compromise them. And then you have the ultimate control. It's almost like they got pictures of little neck them and some little naked white boys in the bed somewhere, because these dudes get real soft all of a sudden, and you don't really hear from them. Yeah. But that rah rah rah, and even when they do an interviews and you watch their body language and their face facial expression, 
hear the intonation of their voice, they not even the same. It's like, what happened to you, dude? Yeah. Oh, you done took the handshake. <laughs> but, oh, okay, that's how that works. All right. Yeah. No, it's it's crazy out here. We're in 2020. What could we look out for 2020? What should we actually keep our eyes and ears open for? Because we've seen a lot of stuff happening that we never thought we would see in our lifetime. So what else well, should we actually? Well, look well out we ain't finished with 2020 yet. So death and destruction is on its way, bro. Mm -hmm. These these people are not going to let you bring and tear down their system without a fight. Elijah Muhammad said they would rather destroy everything than to be ruled by black people. Yeah. And the mere fact that we stand up and suggest that they put a dog on a leash in the park is an insult to them. How dare you, nigga, tell me to put my dog on the This dog is more important than you. I'm calling the police. Wow. To ask you to respect a rule and a law that you and your people establish? You're going to call the police on me? Wow. Wow. See the law? The law is only as good as those who enforce the law. You understand. Griff, wow. it's been a great conversation. I can't wait to actually sit down for a part two because there's a lot of questions I got to yeah, ask you. Yeah, there's much more we could go over, but I really yeah. appreciate you, good brother. And I'm letting you know now, and my word is bond, we could definitely do a part two. Just stay in touch with me. I got you. Definitely. Griff, thank you so very much. And shout out your album, Energy Code, right now. I know it just dropped. Tell them where they could get in. All that good stuff before they I get you out of here. They can go to www.professorgriff.bandcamp.com. www.professorgriff.bandcamp.com. Support the cause, support the Energy Code. All right. I got remixes and videos for every song coming. So you're going to hear from me the rest of this year, bro. Yeah. All right. All right, Griff, thank uh, you so very much. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is Muscle, and this has been another Two Line Music Huts Entertainment Report podcast, and we are out. Peace. This podcast is brought to you by www.twolinedmusichut.com.